When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician, Sean Murphy. How are you doing, Sean? I'm good, Phil. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. It's a weird one, isn't it, this week? It's um, it's a very, very strange one. We're recording this on the Monday night. The Queen died on Thursday, um, God rest her soul. And it's very strange... Um, I'm not really sure what to say, to be honest. She's a constant in all of our lives. I shouldn't imagine there's anyone listening to the podcast right now who has known any other monarch than the Queen. And, you know, she's on money, she's on stamps, she's on post boxes. You know, she she is the Queen. She's the figurehead of the country. And personally, my view, I think she's a wonderful lady. She was a wonderful lady. So, um, yeah, it's uh, strange times, it has to be said. Where, where were you, Sean, when you heard? Yeah, I was I was in Dublin, and um, uh, I can't I can't actually think what what I was what I was doing exactly. But I, as as you say, I think it um, I think you knew, didn't you, that it was such a big deal when they announced that she was unwell and uh, the family were making their way up to Balmoral. That was the sign, wasn't it? We knew, um, you know, we knew. And then of course, I think like particularly for yourself and I, you know, someone who's you know we've we've worked we've seen behind the curtain of broadcasting a little bit, you know, you see the clues the minute they go for the black suits and there's a lot of prep gone into that. Um, even just something as small as that, you know, that gives you the signal, doesn't it? You know that bad news is probably coming. And um, yeah, I just, I can't, you know, can't think of a time where obviously she wasn't present, you know, in my life and um, uh, everyone's life, as you, as you correctly say, a very, very strange time for us all. Um, but not least her family, you know, and uh, that's the thing that I've tried to keep thinking about. You know, obviously, you know, the U- the United Kingdom um, and the, the Commonwealth uh, have lost its monarch. Um, but the family, the royal family, whatever you think about the royals, that's not what this is about. Whatever you think about the royals, they've lost their mother, grandmother. Uh, and obviously to the kids, their great grandmother. So for me, I think that's the thing that sticks out here. And it's it's it's. I found it very interesting watching as now King Charles the Third, you know, makes his way into that um, bit, very big void that you know Queen Elizabeth has left behind. Um, how he copes with that, but also copes with the loss of his mother. Yeah, he's he's having to do it all at once, which um, it can't be easy. He's right. What you say, you know, about the the black tie thing. We a couple of years ago at the Tour Championship, I think it was, Prince Philip had taken ill the week before. And I got a phone call a couple of days, I think it was in Milton Keynes during lockdown. I got a phone call a couple of days before saying, look, pack a black tie. Before you go down, just pack a black tie because if anything does happen, we've got to straight away be in, be in black tie. And it's really funny, I was watching the, I was working down in Wolverhampton um, last Thursday and 
I was watching, you know, some of the news on the TV, rolling news constantly once once they announced she was ill. And all of a sudden they, they went to black ties. And I was watching it and I thought, oh no. This, you know, this isn't just the media building it up. They've put black ties on. And like you say, that for people who work in that industry, you, you kind of know. When you see the black suits, you see the Hugh Edwards there in a black tie. Hugh Edwards, by the way, who was absolutely different level on Thursday. I nearly tweeted, he went off air at, I think at whatever time, eight o'clock or something. And I nearly tweeted someone get him a beer and he was back on at half nine. And he was, <laughs> he was incredible. He, he just got it right. He got it out. He got the tone, the mood, everything absolutely right. But yeah, as soon as, as soon as all those black ties now, you know, so yeah, rest in peace and, and feel for the family. And, and we really do. Um, the queen was a big snooker fan, which came as a surprise to you, Sean, actually. Yeah, I'd seen that on. I'd seen that somewhere on social media. It may have been you actually that wrote it. Um, you you write so much drivel, <laughs> media. I, I, I don't follow it all that closely, as you can as you can understand, like you know. But um, I, I, it may well have been you that wrote it. And I, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, big um, fan, big fan. She she used to annoy Prince Philip something chronic apparently because she used to watch the highlights on the on the BBC of the the Triple Crown event. And she would not go to bed until the program had finished. So she most probably watched you win your world title, Sean. Well, if she's watching the highlights, Phil, she won't have watched much of me over the years. <laughs> we, we can rest assured. I won't have uh, bored Her Majesty too much. But, um, yeah, amazing to think that, uh, you, know, um, you know, you just never know who's watching, do you, I suppose? Um, been very lucky to meet... Um, uh, one of the royal, um, one of the members of the royal family over the years. I opened the um, the uh, snooker academy in Sheffield at the English Institute of Sport um, with Prince Edward uh, back in I think 2006, something like that. And I remember, you know, there was this massive pack, this big protocol, um, you know, binded folder arrived in the post of the do's and don'ts and. You know, you it's, it's you know his royal highness when you first meet him, and then it's sir after that, and you don't offer your hand for a handshake until he offers it. You don't you know speak when you're spoken to, and uh, and absolutely he will not pose for any pictures at all. So when I get there, I you know I've gone to the English Institute of Sport as I say to open it. It's a big day for snooker, our first proper academy. This was back under the days of Sir Rodney Walker, um, and obviously as a sir. You know, he had a bit of an in with the Royals anyway. Um, but I remember him taking me aside and saying, listen, um, we've asked you to open this today because we think you've got the best chance of talking him into having a picture. And he cannot leave here today without having a picture. <laughs> so I remember being so nervous the whole day. But he, I have to say he was, he was wonderful. He was great company for that day. And, um, you know, it left a very nice memory. Wonderful. The only member of the Royal family I've ever met was Jim Royal. Ricky Tomlinson, um, <laughs> boxing show in Liverpool. Do you know what a lovely guy as well? Absolute gem of a man. So, yeah, strange week, and um, you know, hope everyone's everyone's good out there, and uh, hopefully, uh, funeral next week, and um, we can all uh, all mourn the Queen. So there we go. Right now, we had teased on social media that we would have our first ever guest tonight. Unfortunately, circumstance has prevailed um, due to everything that's gone on in the media. We didn't say who it was. I'm still not going to say who it was. We're going to keep it a secret because we will get that person on. Um, now, just to say, when we did say that we're getting a guest on, a few people said, oh, can you get Judd on? Can you get Selby on? Can you get Neil Robertson? No. All right. One 
snooker player is enough for any podcast. Okay, so we've got Sean. This is the snooker podcast. It's not a snooker podcast. We will leave that to um, to Phil and Nick, who, by the way, brilliant, brilliant pieces with Hazel Irvin and Neil Robertson last week. Um, superb. If you've not yet heard them, Talking Snooker podcast with uh, Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, one with Hazel Irvin, who, let's face it, she's a complete diamond of a woman. And secondly, with Neil Robertson, who is a great talker. I think that podcast... I, th- I did listen to it. It lasts about four and a half days, I think, there's a Neil <laughs> Robertson one. But it's a great listen. So if you've not listened to it, Talking Snooker, brilliant one. So we won't be getting snooker players on. What we want to do is get people on who have some connection to snooker but aren't players. So it may be some of the weird and the wonderful as we go on over the next few podcasts, but we will do our best to bring you some exciting and very different guests as we move forward. But excitingly... In the last couple of weeks, we've gone through the 100,000 listens mark, Sean, which we never thought we'd do that, did we? <laughs> no, I remember when we when we set out to do episode one and I said to you, like, you know, what 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 would we consider to be success? And we were like, well, you know, late hundreds, a thousand, something like that. You know, we'd be like bowled over, wouldn't we? We'd be made up. Um, to break through that 100,000 barrier after only five episodes is, um, well, it's staggering, really. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't think that was going to happen at all. As I say, with the amount of rubbish you talk, um, <laughs> don't know how we've done it, but we've done it. Amazing. And uh, let's push on. Absolutely. So yeah, thank you everyone for listening, sharing on social media, getting interactive with us, and everything else you do. Hundred thousand listeners has blown us away. So that really is fantastic. Right, snooker podcast. That's not a snooker podcast. Let's do the snookery bits, shall we? So catch up on the last couple of weeks. First of all. This last weekend, it's been the, the Ron Gross Memorial Tournament in London. Um, Ron Gross, a bit of a legend of snooker, um, to be honest. He he helped a lot of other players on their career and uh, was quite a man. It was won this year, and this is so fitting, by Alfie Burden. Now, Alfie is the driving force behind this tournament. He pretty much organises it, um, I think, with Ron's daughters um, and son, Cole, as well. But um, Alfie's sort of the driving force behind it. I think he played Tep Chire in the final. And, and Alfie won it. So Alfie Burden, well done. That is a sparkling victory, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, it's brilliant. And, uh, I th- you know, like you were just saying there, what's really good is that, you know, this is an event he's kind of, you know, taken under his wing, made his own over the last few years, puts a lot of time and effort into the, the organising of that event. And whether it's the World Snooker Championships or a Pro-Am down your club or, you know, the local handicap tournament, these tournaments don't run themselves. Uh, and, and so, to, you know, to, I, you know, on Facebook, he's always up there posting about it, taking entries in, he's logging who's in it, who's not. Uh, they're running charitable things along the side, obviously closely working with the Gross family. Um, you know all of that stuff so to do all of that uh, host everyone put on a great show and then win the tournament um yeah sure you know it's a pro-am event in a in a, in a club but it, you know it's it still takes some doing uh, and, and all credit to alfie you know a real top bloke known alfie for must be getting on for goodness it'll be nearly 30 years you know if you started you know counting all the years up um, and a player who really you know and i hope this comes out as a compliment that's how it's meant you know, really should have done more. Um, incredibly talented player, really great character, great fun to be around. Um, very, very funny guy. 
and someone whose company I've always enjoyed from, you know, from being a young man. Yeah, same here. Lovely bloke. And uh, so well done, the AB of London, on winning the Rongross Memorial. Now, the other massive news in the last couple of weeks has been World Snooker Tour guaranteeing players of the tour card £20,000. That's a season, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And they're doing it for the, for the first season, then it'll be reviewed. But fantastic news, that really is. Yeah, great news. I mean, you know, once you start diving into the absolute detail of it, um, you know, there's it's you know it's thrown up a few questions, and there's been a lot of chatter on on social media. Uh, Mark Allen has been you know sort of leading the charge on just, that, just a little bit. Yeah, it's completely unlike Mark <laughs> um, uh, to, to 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 say what he thinks. But um, I think what everyone is in in complete agreement about is that it is positive. Um, you know, people uh, have been talking about it for a long, long time that, you know, the professionals on tour, there's a lot of them who, who make a massive loss uh, in their attempt at, you know, keeping their two-year card, which they've already sacrificed thousands and thousands of pounds getting in the first place. So, do you know, it just goes to show that um, for all the naysayers out there, and, and, and there's a lot of players on the tour who would be guilty of this, believing that, you know... Um, uh, you know, going to the WPBSA World Snooker Tour and asking the questions and keep, you know, forming good opinions and chat groups and stuff, going to them with well-thought-out opinions and good, good ideas. It does work. It does, yeah, absolutely. Do you know, just to explain for the, for the non-snooker fans that listen to the podcast, because I know there are a few, um, to be on the tour, you, you've got to earn a tour card. It's There's a, roughly 128 tour card holders. You can earn a tour card in, in many different ways. You can earn it by... Um, winning your way through Q School, which is a qualifying event. There's many other qualifying events as you go. Once you've got a tour card, if you stay in a certain place in the rankings, you keep your tour card, and, and there's there's various different ways you can have a tour card. Having a tour card guarantees you entry into the ranking events every year, okay? That's it. Now, if you lose in the first round of ranking events, you earn nothing you don't earn anything at all you you've got to get there you've got to pay your hotel or travel or whatever and you get paid nothing if you lose in the first round now that's how it's been for years okay that that's just how it's been so those some players will will go through the year and earn very very little if nothing some of them actually run into loss because they've had to pay for all those things so what world snooker Tour have done they've basically said look we guarantee you twenty thousand pounds now that should help a lot of those players to to be able to do those things, to be able to to probably practice more because it takes a bit of pressure off them having to get sponsorship and work other jobs and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's got to help. Now, what you said about Mark Allen, um, yeah, it, like you say, everyone's got to agree it's, it's a positive step, okay? It is a positive step. Nothing is ever perfect. Um, I think if... if you said to Mark, you know, is your glass half full or is your glass half empty? He'd want to know why he's only got a glass. Why has he not got a tankard? Why has he not got a pint pot? What's why is it just a glass and not a not a big bowl of something or other, isn't it? Well, I, you know, what I would say of you know uh, of Mark is that he he um, you know snooker is the biggest thing in his life outside of his family, and um, you know he doesn't just shoot. You know, despite his nickname, uh, he doesn't just you know shoot off the cuff about these things. He will have thought about his comments. Uh, and you know that he makes a lot of good points. I haven't looked into the, um, uh, you know, the, the 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 ins and outs of the deal, um, you know, as much as a lot of players have had, um, because 
frankly, you know, it doesn't affect me. I got my email from World Snooker, which tells me I'm eligible for zero uh, because I've already earned over the threshold, you know, so far this season where I would be, um, you know, able to take advantage of, of, the, of, the, of the, you know, the money giveaway. Um, but I guess that's kind of, you know, it's, it, there's got to be some kind of uh, means testing almost to it. You know, there's got to be some kind of, you know, if you, if you, if you need it, great. If you don't need it, then don't take it. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, you know, most of the, certainly the top 16 and top 32, I'm sure, if you'd asked them if they could earn a little bit less, but it meant the, the players at the bottom end of the rankings definitely would have earned something uh, and money in their pockets and they weren't running at a loss. I don't know anyone that would have turned that down. So, as I say, whether, whether people are for this or against it, um, there's very, very few against it, I'm sure. There might be a few out there who think maybe it could have been done in a slightly different way. Uh, maybe, you know, they could have just paid prize money to first-round losers. That might have been a more straightforward thing. Um, but listen, you know, it, it's £20,000 per season uh, in two £10,000 uh, instalments that didn't exist two weeks ago. Absolutely. That, and that's exactly how I'm looking at it. It's got to be a positive step. And... I think moving forwards, I think they've said, you know, they're trialling this for, for a year. Um, I know World Snooker's up pretty well. They will review it. They'll look at how it's gone. They'll look at the reaction to it. They will listen to people. They'll, they'll take these things on board that are said. And if they see sense in, in some of those, those suggestions, some of those changes, then, the, you know, they'll quite possibly make them moving forward. But it's a really positive step. It's great for snooker. As, as I think you said in the last podcast, similar things happened in golf recently. Um, obviously they talk telephone numbers in golf, but it's, you know, similar things happened and it's a positive for the sport. So world snooker tour, well done. Fantastic. Great news. Right. Before our next episode, there is the world mixed doubles going on. Now this is taking place in Milton Keynes, um, before the British open happens. Um, the world mixed doubles is a brand new event. Okay. Um, it's going to be on ITV, some of it on ITV, the main channel, some of it on ITV4. Um, it's one of the top four male players, one of the top four female players, um, drawn against each other, playing each other in a round robin to start with, best of four. That will then go into to semifinals and, and final. Um, and it's going to be exciting, Sean, isn't it? It's different. Looking forward to watching it. You know, I'm not involved in it from a playing point of view. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. Um, I'm all for inclusion. I'm all for inclusivity, um, and I, I want the only barrier to success to be ability. So anything that uh, anything that brings that closer uh, to fruition um, for me is a is a positive. We've been talking about doubles comps for a long, long time. Everyone remembers the the Hofmeister World Doubles Championship that used to happen in Northampton near me back in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. I went to that a couple of times. And I think bringing I think bringing in a mixed doubles um, is is a really really good step in the right direction for the game. Um, and who knows, uh, you know, for it's going to there's a lot of prize money on offer. There is, um, but television coverage on the main ITV channel is I mean that's that's fantastic for the sport of snooker. That is superb. ITV four is great. You know, it's, it's a big audience. The main ITV channel that's massive for snooker. It really is, isn't it? I can't remember exactly, but I, I want to say it must be getting on for 30 years since Snooker was on the main ITV channel. You know, back then there was only one ITV channel, of course. But 
you know, I remember watching something like the Colite World Match Play that Gary Wilkinson <laughs> won. That tells you how long ago it was. Um, wow. You know, that that's dating all of us. Everyone feels a bit older after I've said that. Uh, I remember watching that. That was on ITV back in the day. And I think that was on just before I went off to watch Airwolf. Can't remember. <laughs> With one of the best theme tunes in telly, by the way. Ever. The Airwolf theme tune was superb. It really was. Right, <laughs> let's look at the pairings then. So we've got uh, Mark Selby, the Jess from Leicester. He's paired up with Rebecca Kenner. Now, you talk about um, entries into, into sport and, and, and that kind of inclusivity. Rebecca Kenner famously went to play some snooker matches and wasn't allowed in the clubs because she's a woman. You know, how, how times are changing. It is fantastic to see to see Bex has, has gone on and, and, you know, she's now, you know, on the on the talk, playing the events like this. And, yeah, she's paired with Mark Selby. They'll, they'll be pretty formidable, actually, it, depending where Mark is, I guess. Yeah, I, I I think this tournament's you know going to be very hard to call, but um, you know they 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 are. I mean, there's only four pairings in the tournament, of course, but they are one of the standout pairings. Um, I, you know, I think Mark uh, obviously has a an A B C D E and F game <laughs> to die for, um, and and I think Rebecca I think is going to go from strength to strength since joining the tour. Uh, I think she's uh, got a lot of potential in there, um, and I think she will only get better. I think she's got a great attitude. Um, as well, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've chatted to her about a couple of things, and um, you know, uh, we've spent a bit of time chatting with her at tournaments and stuff. And I think she's got her head screwed on, and I, I think she's got a great attitude in there, and someone who's someone who's prepared to learn from their mistakes, not frightened to ask for help, ask the questions. Uh, and yeah, I think if she carries on in on the trajectory she's on, I think she'll do well. Definitely. Now, the second pair we're going to look at is Neil Robertson, the Thunder from Down Under. And Mink Nutcherut. Now, Mink, as we will call her, um, famously scored the first one four seven by a, by a female player, I believe. Um, in I think it was in practice. I don't think it was in a match. Um, Neil, we know all about Neil. Neil on his day can beat anyone in the world. Okay, Mink is an exciting one. She's an exciting player to watch. You know, they as a pairing, they could be very, very strong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, these pairings all came out. I think randomly and. You know, to some degree, it wouldn't have mattered who got paired with whom. Um, but yeah, I think you know that they could be a formidable duo. Um, I think Mink's one of the better scorers in the ladies' game. Um, you know, I think she regularly bangs in the big breaks. Um, I think, I think from what I've seen from the ladies I've played against and watched um, when I've watched the streaming, uh, they all seem to be very strong tactically. And I had a match with On Yi in the Scottish Open last season. Um, where I think she was 3-1 ahead of me in a best of seven. Um, and she just completely outmaneuvered me around the table to get her lead. Now, in the end, I did turn the table and win, but, um, you know, their tactical games um, seem very, very strong. And, of course, Neil, you know, one of the best scorers we've ever seen, uh, as well as being uh, a great tactician himself. Yeah. They're going to be tough, tough to beat too. They are. Well, let's move on. You mentioned On Yi there. Ung On Yi has got Judd Trump alongside her in this. Now, On Yi in the last few years has been a, a powerhouse in the women's game. We've seen she's just won a qualifier on the tour as well. So she's clearly on form. Judd's playing well. We know that. Judd's always playing well, pretty much. Again, tough to beat. 
I just it just you know it's just gonna be, it's gonna be so hard, isn't it, to 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 sort of you know uh, pick a winner here, isn't it? I don't really know where it's gonna go. Do you know one of the things I I, I would say as well though about Onyi, um, and I mentioned this during the um, the commentary um, during last season's Welsh Open. Um, she's got a really good team behind her. Mm. Onyi, very well supported back home in Hong Kong, and in her corner. Uh, he's a guy who used to be on the tour back in the day in the 80s and early 90s, a guy from Derby uh, called David Rowe. And he's an ex-pro turned coach, very well thought of in, in snooker circles. You know, they talk about Anthony Hamilton being a real player's player. You know, David Rowe was in the same ilk, um, you know, burst onto the scene in the mid to late 80s and early 90s, was, was you know, was definitely going places in the game. Had a, every facet of snooker. Um, and listen, you know, for one reason or another, you know, it doesn't work out for everybody. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't comment on why. I don't know why, but because uh, I was only a child uh, myself, but at the time, but uh, a real, real good player, someone who knows the game absolutely inside and out. Um, and to have somebody like that in her corner makes her very dangerous. Absolutely. So that's they're going to be tough. And then, and then we come on to uh, what I think many people's favourites. For the tournament, you've got the, the greatest of all time in Ronnie O'Sullivan, seven-time champion of the world, against probably the greatest female player of all time, the the 812-time women's world champion, Rianne <laughs> Evans. Yeah, every time I mention Rianne, I'm going to put more and more on there. Now, you mentioned playing on Yi. You played Rianne as well in the Champion of Champions a couple of years ago. She yeah. qualified through being the women's world champion, and uh, I don't know how you qualified, to be honest. I don't, I don't, I don't know how I keep getting in there. <laughs> but she put you through it that day, didn't she? Yeah, no, as I say, uh, you know, she she really played the game, uh, you know, on her terms. Uh, and as I say, tactically, um, I'm not sure what it is about the ladies game, but they're all very, very strong in the tactical department. Um, I remember that day, I just remember struggling with my game. You know, I was struggling with my game anyway. Uh, and then Rianne started banging long reds in from all over the place, and long blues like they were over the pocket. And you know, Rianne uh, is somebody I know very, very well. She's incredibly gifted. You know, Rianne. They talk about uh, Ronnie playing, you know, with his with his other hand. Uh, Rianne can switch hands, you know, just as easily. She's just as good, I think, uh, with the with the wrong hand, so to speak. But she's very, very good uh, when she's in full flight. I think she could beat anyone on a day. Um, absolutely anybody, and of course, you know, very difficult in a four in a four horse race uh, to pick a favourite. But if you had to, the you know, O'Sullivan and, and Evans pairing is too hard to turn down. I think. So is that your winner then? Neck on the line. Who do you reckon is going to win? Yeah, neck on the line. I've got Evans and O'Sullivan. Yeah. Do you know, I'm I'm going to go against it. I'm going to say what Rob, a shock that is. Robbo and Mink. I'm going to say Neil Robertson and Mink. I just. I just think if one of them gets to the table, they they will score, and they'll score big. And I think both of them can. And I I think it, Robbo loves a win, doesn't he? he? He loves a tournament win. Doesn't matter what tournament it is. I just I don't know. I I just get a feeling Neil Robertson and Mink. But we shall see, won't we? So that is twenty fourth, twenty fifth September. Um, it's happening in Milton Keynes. Tickets are still available. There's family tickets as well, which work out great value. So that's WST. TV forward slash tickets, or you can watch it on ITV and ITV4. Right, that's the snooker out the way, Sean. After this, it will be time, get limbering up, for your rant, Sean Murphy. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's the words, at 147pod. Now, your last rant, Sean, was about inept airline travellers, and uh, I only saw people backing you up. Only saw people backing you up. Um, I've got to say... We, I'm, we got... Going for the, I'm going for the easy wins, Phil. That's why I'm <laughs> going for the easily supported rants. Inept airport travellers are just like... They are, they're worse than gout. <laughs> I'll ask as Mark Williams gout, about as that. As a gout sufferer, <laughs> as a gout sufferer, I can confirm I talk from a position of experience on these people. The question is, though, Sean, is the gout worth the red wine or not? Oh, I, well, do you know what? I've, I've had a couple of bad attacks where <laughs> I, re- I really wasn't sure. Um, I'm still drinking the red wine, so I guess I'll have to say yes. <laughs> Now we did have we did have someone who said last time you know we we talked about be kind we talked about being nice to people on social media and that kind of thing and then you criticised inept airport travellers now just just to be clear that's not one we're not picking on someone there firstly a lot of what we say on here is tongue in cheek we, we have a bit of a laugh but we don't pick on one person Sean's picking on a whole group of people so if if you do count yourself as an inept airport traveller just change just change what you do just do it right. Just get- just get better at traveling. Or do you know what? Don't bother. Stay at home. Stay at home. Absolutely. Right. Okay. It is almost time for your run. I'm just going to get my stopwatch at the ready because you have, Sean Murphy, one minute and 47 seconds. Sean, I've got to ask, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. It will start when I say rant. It will end, as always, with the klaxon. You have one minute and 47 seconds. Sean, three, two, one, rant. Right, well, my rant this time is very, very topical, certainly in my house. There's, you know, in human life, there are levels of people, aren't there? We've got the geniuses at the top, and then we work our way down, and snooker players are somewhere mid to low tier, I think. Somewhere at the very bottom of human evolution is this subculture, almost a subspecies of human being, who, when they come to children's birthday parties that you host in your house, insist on filling the birthday cards for your children with glitter. Oh, they're the worst kind of people. 
Who are these people? And where are they taught how to be this nasty, this inconsiderate? It was two weeks ago there was a party in the house for the children. Now, my children uh, are separated. Their birthdays are a day apart. So there was a double party, double invites, double the cards, double the pre- double the glitter. Who are these people that think, I know what I'll do, this extra, I won't get that card there that's fair trade and dead nice and the money goes to charity. I'm going to get this one here that's got a load of plastic in it and a load of glitter in it that's going to ruin the carpets. It's going to get between the gr- in the middle of the wooden floor. that It'll never, ever come out. At some stage, as a family, we'll leave this house and we'll move on to somewhere else. And there'll be people living here in 40, 50, 60 years' time who will still be picking glitter out of the carpets. Because it doesn't come out, Phil. It's absolutely ridiculous. Who are these muppets, these morons, these absolute subhumans? I think it's a good job the klaxon went off there as well. Before you got the, the podcast banned completely. Sean, do you know what? It's not always I agree with you, but glitter, just glitter as a thing, is an absolute pet hate of mine. Who puts it in birthday cards? You open the card, it just goes everywhere. And it, you, like you say, you can't get it out. Listen, anyone who's watched one of my recent snooker matches knows that I'm not, I'm not against a bit of sparkle. <laughs> I do like a bit of twinkle in my life. Very happy. You know, I love Strictly Come Dancing. I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a uh, what what do they say is it a bit of a what is it the bird that like that likes twinkly things I've, I've completely lost my train of thought but, magpie you're you know, a magpie I, Sean a magpie that's right I was gonna say I was gonna say a scarecrow but that was completely <laughs> wrong um, magpie that's it but glittering birthday cards seriously guys you know and of course if one of these people who puts glitter in birthday cards marries an inept traveller. And after one too many amarettos or bottles of red wine, these people reproduce. Like this is this is David Attenborough end of the world stuff, isn't it? it That's yeah. what this is. It, yeah, it, like you say, they're they're uh, they are a breed all of their own. Let's say so. Yeah, there you go. So that was Sean's rant. Then do you know what, Sean? You did not struggle with the one minute forty seven seconds this week. I think you could have gone. On... I, did, I tell you what, I did struggle with not swearing. The beeper <laughs> machine could have had some serious use there. <laughs> Yeah, let's. <laughs> I need to get one of those actually. Maybe I could just use the klaxon. It seemed to work towards the end of there, didn't it? So every time I hear you talk glitter, I'm just going to go. It's just easy done, isn't it? That's it's the only way to do it. So there you go. So glitter. What do you reckon? You must have had some of the listeners out there must have had some of these cards at their kids' parties. Um, I've got to say, never suffer with that. However, just glitter in general. Christmas cards are the ones that get me. You pull the Christmas card out of the envelope. And it's got glitter all over the front. And then it's on your hands. And then it's everywhere else. And it's one that I kind of feel like open the envelope, just peering inside. No, it's got glitter. That can just go straight in the bin. And it oh, just winds me up. Anyway, there you go. If you've got any thoughts on that, get in touch on social media at 147pod. That's the words at 147pod. What experience have you had with glitter in cards? Or are you one of these people? And do you now suddenly hate Sean and me for having a go at you? Um... In fact, do you know what? If you are one of those people, tell us why. Why would you put glitter in a card? What's wrong with you? Anyway, let's go on some listeners' questions, Sean, shall we? So Katie Thompson on Facebook um, says, do you have an embarrassing moment in your life that you've never forgotten? How long you got? 
Tja. I've got eight every podcast. Goodness me. Um, have you got any? Um, I don't think so. But then, I don't know if I get embarrassed, really, which I think is probably a bad thing. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I am. Um, in fact, you know what? Katie, I was at secondary school with Katie, who's asked this question, and she may remember that I once dressed up as a carrot at school to, to promote a, a healthy eating. I was Herbie the Carrot to promote a healthy eating uh, restaurant thing at school. So it possibly, yeah, dressing up as a carrot maybe wasn't one of my uh, high points in life, but I wouldn't say I'm embarrassed by it, really. It's one of those things. I I can't believe you've revealed that. I can't believe it. I've dressed up as a, as a knight as well at the rugby once, as Norris the Knight at York City Knights. Norris the Knight. Norris Goodness. the Knight. There you go. Go on, we're John. We're plumbing, we're, we're plumbing new depths here. <laughs> we really are. You must have some. Come on. Yeah, no. Yeah, I was thinking about this. There's loads, there's loads isn't there? You know, I mean, there's, there's the typical, like, you know, things that happened on a driving test or, um, you know, things you said at school that you shouldn't have said and all this. But, you know, one of the most embarrassing moments that sticks out for me of my whole life um, was actually something to do with snooker. And uh, it was my debut at the Crucible in 2002. Um, and uh, I was playing Stephen Hendry. So a nice, easy debut. <laughs> and uh, we were the feature game. So the first two players have walked out. And then I'm third out. And Stephen's coming out, obviously, as the higher seed. And I've walked out to a really good, really good reception. Uh, and I'm stood in my corner and waiting for Stephen to, to be introduced out and the, the atmosphere is building and building as I'm, you know, about to start pouring the water into my glass, uh, which I've been doing at this point successfully for the best part of 20 years of my life. Never had a problem with pouring water into a glass. Uh, and the, you know, the MC at the time, Alan Hughes, introduced Stephen into the arena. The, the roof came off the crucible um, and Stephen almost glided into the arena. But the noise was that loud that I missed the glass with the water. Uh, and somewhere uh, there will be footage of me missing this glass and pouring water all down the set, all over my seat. <laughs> at the I've been in the Crucible Arena 30 seconds at this point. <laughs> didn't, didn't Neil Robertson do that not so long ago as well? Didn't he? Did he knock a drink over? or he poured... I think he knocked it over, yeah. Was that... Um... Was that the year of co when the COVID restrictions and stuff where there was a few players sat in the wrong chairs and then he got up and then he backed into the table? Or <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure, but I, you know, just touching on that because that's quite a serious snooker point because he he was he's been quite badly criticised over the last couple of seasons for saying the crucible is actually getting a bit smaller and mm. the playing area, you know, that 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 table. If you're on the um, I forget the numbers of the tables, but you know. There's a table where we put our water and drinks, which is always in the way of either the yellow pocket corner or the green pocket corner, depending on which table you're on. And he's actually correct. The, the playing area, the actual walking around the table area, has got smaller for the players over the years. That table um, didn't used to be in the way. Mm. Uh, and, and Neil does have quite a pronounced uh, pre-shot routine of quite a long walk into the shot. Now, that's obviously every player's... Um, you know, preference, personal choice, but his is quite long, and and he's actually technically correct. You know that that area has actually got smaller over the years. Don't know why, don't know how, um, but uh, yeah, it, it was. It, I wish I could blame it on that. No, I was just nervous, got a shock by how loud the crowd was, and uh, poured half my bottle of water over the set. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Just just on that, you mentioned the Crucible there. There's been a lot of chat recently on, on social media and various podcasts um, about whether whether snooker should whether the world should move from the Crucible. You just mentioned it there, and Neil's been been quite vocal. To be honest, Neil's quite honest. Uh, same same with what you said about Mark Allen earlier on regarding the the twenty thousand pounds guarantee. I think Neil is just very honest. He speaks his mind, and he has no reason not to. Um, what's your thoughts? What, what do you reckon? Well, I was thinking about this. Like, I don't want the World Championships to leave the Crucible Theatre at all. No way. However, <laughs> if it were to, if it were to. I would have to hold my hands up and say I completely understand the reasons why. Yep. Because as our as our ultimate event, as the absolute blue ribbon event in snooker, that that is our that's the Masters. It's the it's 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 our Wembley. It's Wimbledon. It's it, that's what it is. It is it is massively um, underserviced in terms of hospitality, uh, what we can offer sponsors, what we can offer VIP guests and stuff like that. And, and on, as, much as, as much as real true sports fans don't want to admit it, unfortunately, that commercial pound, that commercial dollar is what makes sport happen. Yep. Gone are the days where, you know, it's 10, 15, 20 pound on the turnstiles and you're the guys that pay the footballers wages every week. Those days are gone, you know, um, we can see with the fights that are going on in golf now, you only have to look at the fight going on between DP World Tour and PGA Tour versus the new Live Tour to see that it, it is money and commercialization that are driving these things. Um, and the Crucible Theatre simply doesn't have the space, it doesn't have the square footage to, to really take advantage of what is our biggest event and our biggest commercial opportunity. So if it were to move... I would understand it. I don't want it to move. I want it to stay there. But if you think about sports, traditional homes, as I've already mentioned, your Wembleys, Wimbledons, um, you know, all of these places, they've all changed over mm. the years. They've all had to evolve. Wimbledon isn't what it was 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years, 20 years ago even. It's constantly evolving to make it a better experience when you go. The Crucible had a facelift a few years ago where they spent some money on a, you know, painting the corridors and changing the dressing rooms. Apart from that, it hasn't changed yeah. at all in the years that we've been going there. And so, you know, I want it to stay there. Um, but I understand that, you know, as, as the commercialization of snooker becomes much more of an important role in the next few years, that is going to be a problem that we'll need solving. Yeah, it's funny, you know, when when, um, when they talked about the new Wembley, first talked about it, my first thought was, well, you've got to keep the Twin Towers. You've got to keep the Twin Towers. It's iconic. It's Wembley. That You know, the Twin Towers, they're, they're Wembley. And as soon as they announced, no, they're, they're pulling them down. They're doing this. Like, and I thought, oh, no, 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 that's going to ruin it. It's not going to be Wembley. It won't be Wembley. Now, as I drive into London, the first thing I look for is the Wembley Arch. The first thing I look for on that skyline is that arch over the top of the stadium, which straight away, like, oh, yeah, it's Wembley. Fantastic. And it, it's an amazing stadium. Now, I've, I've got to, I agree. I agree with you. I think it's, you know, the Crucibles is fantastic. It's got the history. It's got that feeling to it. If it does move again, like you, I understand it. Um, but it's really funny. I, we had a, a chat in the, the media centre a year or two ago. And I said to someone, there's three things you could change in snooker. What would you change? What would you do? Money's no object. There's no barriers to you. What's the three things that you'd do? I won't say who I was talking to in the media centre. 
But the first thing they said immediately, without hesitation whatsoever, I would buy and extend the crucible. I would buy and extend the crucible. I'd build it outwards. I'd build it upwards to get more people in there and more room on the floor. And that there was there was no hesitation, no doubt whatsoever. Buy the crucible, make it bigger. And I thought, well, what a great thing. Because it's funny, a few people point out, snooker doesn't have a home, does it? It doesn't have that base. Because the crucible isn't owned by by World Snooker. It's, it's not theirs. You know, they rent it every year for the worlds and, and sort of that's it. We move on, then we go back to the next year. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have that home. And yeah, it was the first thing I said, buy the crucible, make it bigger, which I thought was uh, was amazing. Quite how we got onto that from a question about embarrassing moments, I'll never know. But anyway, there you go, Katie. That was your question answered. Next up, Ryan Walker on Twitter. How do you prepare mentally for a match? Is this the red wine and the gout again, Sean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've tried everything over the years. Um yeah, of course. This is where this is where you know mental coaches uh, come into it, like Chris Henry, uh, and uh, I mean mental coach as in he works on the mental side of the game. You know, he's not crazy. Um, uh, you know, Chris, Chris, and player and coaches like him. This is what they specialize in, and it's getting you in that right mental state. I think when you reach a certain level of um, ability uh, in anything, um, you know, it then becomes about being in the right mental state to go out and perform and do what, whether you're an actor on stage or a sports person or a, a, you know, a, a car salesman or whatever it might be, you know, a car salesman knows how to sell, but he, you know, he or she has to be in the right um, frame of mind to, 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 to let all those, you know, abilities come out, don't they? And that innate talent and whatever it might be, the golfer, the tennis player, snooker player, all the hours of practice are in there. And so the difference between a good performance and a bad performance usually is between the ears. Uh, it's not in the hands. And so that how to prepare, prepare mentally is the absolute most important part of it. Over the years, mine has varied. Mine would be, you know, um, preparing for a match with, you know, a bit of music on in the dressing room, certainly at the venues where you're lucky enough to have a dressing room anyway, which isn't all of them. Um, you know, I like a bit of music. Being, I've varied between being chilled out or being hyper, you know, high speed music versus quite chilled out music um tried both to varying degrees of success you know someone are, some players are chatty backstage some don't want to talk to anybody some players like to practice for an hour before some don't hit any balls at all uh, and over the years you know I would have would have tried them all but I think at the end of the day it's just about getting yourself in the in the right mental state to perform and for that's different for everybody you know there isn't one one you know, hat fits out all in that in, in that in that case. That's different for everybody. For me, it's about being chilled out, happy, and focused. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. There you go. Right, moving on, Sean. Yeah, um, just looking at the questions here. We've got uh, Chris Lee on Twitter. What's your favourite destination in the Far East when playing? Um, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, it would know, you know, years and years ago, I think when we first took the the tour expanded into the Far East, um, you know, it was a it was a big, massive, big culture shock for us all. Um, but over the years of going to China and the Far East, like I grew to love it, uh, and I can't wait for those tournaments to come back. I'm desperate for those events to come back on the on the calendar. Um, I have to say, Hong Kong's a favourite. Uh, I love Hong Kong. I think it's a great city. Uh, love going out there. I've been out there a few times. Um, and uh, somewhere that's very special to me as a, just as a person. Um, and after that, you know, I really enjoy the Shanghais and the Beijings. 
and places like that. I've been to India a few times. I'm not sure if we technically class India as the Far East. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, it's that way, isn't it? It's out that way. Um, I love India. I think India's beautiful. Anyone who's not been should go. Um, and, uh, yeah, can't wait for those events to come back. So you're looking forward to those. Well, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you a, a trivia question because I can't answer that because I, I don't play. I'm not in the Far East. We have got ranking events this year in Edinburgh and Cheltenham. But which of those is furthest east? Oh, uh, Edinburgh. You're wrong, Sean. Don't it's be daft. Edinburgh is further west than Cheltenham and indeed Bristol. Have, a, have a look on a map. Do you know, someone pointed this out to me the other week, which is why I'm asking you. That completely and utterly blew my mind. Yeah. Yep. Cheltenham is further east than Edinburgh. Crazy, eh? Yeah, I wasn't ready for that kind of uh, mind game. Well, we say, it's, we say it's not a snooker podcast. There you go. That's not snooker, is it? That's geography. So there you go. You learn something new every day. Right, moving on. Snooker Loopy on Twitter. I love this question. This is a great question. What percentage of toilet breaks between frames are actually for players to go to the toilet and how many are mind games, Sean? Uh, yeah, well, I can obviously only, I can, I can only speak from what I've observed um and from my point of view the answer is very very few uh the majority of of comfort breaks that i see um are for people trying to do, perform some kind of jedi mind trick on their opponent um you know you, you can just you can you can almost bet your mortgage on if a player has uh, cleared up you know 65 behind with 67 on um, they pop the final black to clinch the frame, a frame they should never have won. The cue go on the table, and suddenly they have to go to the toilet. Um, the amount of times that happens is unbelievable. Um, and I have to say, it, it's one of the things, I, I haven't ranted about this, it is one of the things that absolutely makes my blood boil as a snooker player. I think if I were a paying member of the public... And I'd gone to watch a performance. I'd gone to watch a live event where the you know protagonists, where the actors, where the players, where the people I've paid to entertain me were constantly leaving the stage to go for a, a comfort break. I, I would find it... I, I think it's so weird. I don't know of any other sport or paid entertainment where it happens as much as snooker. I've got no idea how it's been allowed to progress to what is now a ridiculous situation. So just to play devil's advocate then, if you're a, a paying fan in the stand, you'd rather watch someone just sit there in the corner and do nothing. The players, I don't, the players shouldn't leave the, the field of play. They shouldn't leave the arena. Dealing with that mental warfare that's going on <laughs> is part of the deal, and you should sit there and deal with it in your seat. Fair enough. Uh, you don't, that, it is funny. Uh, and I, I find it very, very difficult. You know, I, I can almost predict, as I say, when a, when an opponent of mine uh, is clearing up to steal a frame that they had no they had no business winning. I can almost guarantee that as that final ball goes in, the cue will go down on the table, and by massive coincidence, they'll need to go for a wee. I mean, how did they clear up when their bladder was nearly bursting so much? You know, it's just laughable. And in fact, you know, I know. I absolutely know for a fact that coaches over the years, some very world-renowned coaches, by the way, have encouraged players 
every time you win or lose a frame, I want you to leave the arena. Yep. Just, it's just got get very little to do with needing a week. So the answer to the question is we, we don't actually know. It's quite funny, though. There was a, um, in Milton Keynes, the, the toilet, the player's toilet was actually through the media centre. So to get to the toilet, they had to come out of the arena through the media centre into the toilet at the back. And there is an etiquette that, you know, if you see a player and it's between frames, you don't talk to them. You, you don't say anything. You know, they're just, unless they talk to you. Now, this was at the time when Ronnie had his digital watch. Remember when he was, he was setting it? In between, so he had he knew he had a certain amount of time, so he'd vanish off and, and then he'd come back. But Neil Robertson, I've, I've seen Neil leave the arena, he'll come through the media center, someone will be watching the football on or whatever, and he'll stop and he'll check the football scores on his way, which always tickled me that he was like, So I don't know, he, he wasn't, he was in that kind of mindset. It was like, oh, oh, yeah, Chelsea are winning, oh, great stuff. And then he walked back in the arena. Um, I saw, I remember Jack Klizowski, there was one match he was playing and he was he was he was losing by a couple of frames, and he looked all at sea. And he I think he won, he won a frame or he won two. He was I think maybe four or five behind. He won one or two frames, and he came in to go to the toilet. And as he walked in, he looked at me and he went, "Come on then, Phil, let's have a little game, shall we?" And walked past the toilet. And I was like, "What?" And he went out and he won the game. He won the match, and it was just different players are so different. And I think yeah, some probably do, some don't. You know, but I'm sure some of them do. It's um, yeah, some of it's going to be mind games, I'm sure. But there you go. Well, let's listen. My final word on it: the vast majority, in my opinion, of toilet breaks uh, from from most players are um, some form of gamesmanship, uh, with beyond question, in my mind. Fair enough. Okay, there you go. Sean has spoken. <laughs> Facebook. I actually think we might have read. Yeah, uh, we did. No, we before. did. We did. We did Hayden's last time. I left that one on. That's that's yeah, my did. mistake. Sean. We did. Yeah. No, I thought we had, but because we touched on that as well with the, you know, with the announcement from from WPB saying World Snooker Tour. I, I, I just just very briefly again touching on that. I do think that's widely a positive thing. You know, oh, hundred percent. Widely been accepted as a, as, a, as a positive thing. Uh, Sam Copley on Instagram says, "Seen Marco Fu wearing some crazy shoes. <laughs> what are your opinions on footwear in snooker? Also." Should the Masters be extended to the top 24, like in darts, and should the Worlds be extended to the top 32? Well, Sam, uh, I've got nothing against fancy shoes, crazy shoes, however you want to put them. I've wore all sorts of shoes over my career uh, to varying levels of pain. Um, (laughs) Some of these shoes have been quite tough to wear, I have to say. Uh, but no, I, I'm all for the fancy footwork. I'm all for the fancy shoes. The one thing I would say is Steve Davis said to me the first time I wore my uh, bejeweled sparkly suit in 2007 at the Crucible Theatre where he saw me backstage. If you wear something fancy, be it a suit or those shoes, better play well. So you're really putting the pressure on if you do something like that. But I'm not opposed to it. Um, regards the Masters, should that be extended to the top 24 and the world's extended to the top 32? Arguments could be made. Yes, no. I, I personally like the Masters the way it is. Uh, the one thing I would change to the Masters tomorrow, uh, if it were up to me, um, because it's done on the, on, on the rankings, everyone, in my opinion, uh, certainly over the two-year ranking list, which is, I think, how it's picked, uh, people have the same opportunities of being in it, you know, in two years' time. For me, I, I, you know, if it were up to me, all events would count. 
on the on the on the money list. Um, that would be the that would be the only thing that I would change about the Masters. Uh, I think it's very very strange that you know what what has widely become acknowledged as our second biggest tournament in the game doesn't count. Um, I think that's a weird one, and I don't you know I don't really subscribe to the arguments against that. The World Championships being extended to the top thirty-two. Well, of course, it's the top sixteen seeded through to the Crucible plus sixteen qualifiers that makes up the last sixty-two, the last uh, thirty-two. If it were up to me again, if I were in charge of World Snooker tomorrow, the entire format of the World Championship would change. No longer the top sixteen would never start three or four rounds ahead of everyone else on tour. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, scandalous almost that the best players in the world start three rounds ahead of everyone else. I think it's ridiculous. And one of those very, very strange nuances in sport. Um, Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world. The equivalent is Usain, we know you're the quickest. You can start 15 metres ahead of everyone else. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. Wow, that's that's controversial. Do you know, my, my answer is going to be no and no. Because I think if something isn't broken, don't don't fix it. There's, I think the the Masters is brilliant. I think the the World Championships is brilliant. So, but wow, that you, you, that's a big old statement, that's Sean. Yeah, no, I felt I felt like you know I'd been been sitting on the fence the last few the last <laughs> few episodes. I thought it was time to get back in the game. I, I have very strong opinions, and and so any snooker players listening to this that have sat into some of the players' meetings we've had recently will know that it's no surprise. I, I've been talking about it for years and years since I was on the board. Um, I think if you hold a main tour card in your hand, the tour should be the same for everybody, whether you're number one in the world, the, the best player who's ever lived, and uh, or the rookie one to eight in the world who's never been on the tour. The opportunities on tour should be the same. The thing that the thing that gives you different opportunities should be your ability, not past up, not not past victories or performances. Um, if it were up to me, it would be a flat draw in every tournament. There'd be no protection. There'd be there'd be you know seeding is something I think that you know the commercialization of the sport gets involved in. I think TV companies have a lot to do with that. They want the best at the very end of the event, so obviously they're separated. And I get that. I can understand that. But for me, you know, everyone should be in the, the first round of every tournament. And, you know, this year the UK's is going back to an old-style system of the top 16 being seeded through to the last 32. Again, I understand some of the reasons for that, and I'm going to benefit from them. You know, I, I'm, I'm all for playing in York in front of two tables rather than four and four out the back. But I think it's, I think we're, it's going in the wrong direction for me in terms of fairness and fairness of opportunity, as I say, the only thing that separates should be ability, not and, ranking. And should amateurs be... No, let's not even go there. Let's not start <laughs> that one. Okay, <laughs> Christopher Randall on Twitter. What determines which side players sit at a match? Right, I'll address this one straight away. It's ranking. It's, it's where you are in the, in the world rankings. Um, the lower-ranked player gets announced out first, and they sit on the right-hand side as you watch it on your TV. The higher-ranked player gets announced out second, and they sit on the left-hand side as you watched on your TV. All on those two-year world rankings. Simple as that. Sure. Agreed. Move on. <laughs> uh, Dermot Snooker on Twitter. Should there be a bigger difference in the length of matches at the Crucible as the tournament progresses, particularly between the semis and the final? Yeah, that that 
that gap between the semi-finals and the final has always seemed a little bit odd to me. Now, it has changed. It did used to just be best of 31. I say just best of 31. It did used to be best of 31 in the, I'm sure, in the early to mid-90s. Uh, and then at some stage, maybe around the, the turn of the century, it changed to, 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 to the 33. Um, yeah, again, you know, this is for me, this is all part and parcel of a, a conversation that involves my previous point. You know, having more players in at round one at the Crucible would require match lengths being shortened, uh, certainly in the in the uh, first round or two. Um, but yeah, the gap between a best of 25 last 16 quarter final match to a best of 34 semi final, and then only an addition of a one frame for the final um, seems odd. There are massive advantages, of course, for the player who wins the semi finals in the afternoon session versus the night session. Um, they can prepare much quicker and better for the final. I think having those two m mentally energy-sapping matches one after the other is, is something almost unseen in any other sport. Uh, but on the flip side of that, it's a challenge that every world champion in the Crucible era has passed, has faced and passed. And so I think we have to be very careful when we alter it because you would then innately change the challenge that is the world championships. Um, and so that would be something that you'd have to think very long and hard about. Agreed, definitely. Now, uh, Grant Lorimer on Facebook, what's your favourite takeaway? Go on, Sean. Oh, well, there is only one. And it's Chinese, obviously. Wow, okay. That was, that was very quick. Do you know what? Um, there's there's a place in York where I will take you when um, when you come to York for the UK. We will go to, to Yuzu Street Food, which is a Korean takeaway in York. Oh. It's not just a takeaway, though. You, you can eat in, and it's got a brewery on site. It's got the Brew York Brewery on site, and it's just round the corner from the Barbican where the UK Championships is. Oh. So we've got to pay him a visit. When we've got a night off in York later on this year, we will go Yuzu Street Food in York. They sell Korean food, loaded duck fries, bao buns. Oh, it's so good. So, so good. I haven't won a match in York for about four years, so uh, I'll have plenty of nights free. Don't worry about that. <laughs> You'll be commentating. Anyway, go on then. Last last listener question, Sean. Peter Jones on Facebook. Should Big Break come back? And if so, should it be with Jim Davidson and John Virgo? The answers well, to that are yes and no. <laughs> yes, Big Break should come back. No, it should not be Jim Davidson. For goodness sake, please, come on. Big Break's brilliant. It's great for snooker. Great for snooker, gets it in loads of households, makes the players' household names. Yes, Big Break should come back. No, it shouldn't be. Gee, I love John Virgo, but no, it shouldn't be Jim Davidson and John Virgo. You've got to go with different people. If it was up to me, Richard Osman as a host, massive snooker fan, either Richard Osman or John Richardson, who I know is a massive snooker nut as well. And I'm going to go slightly left field here, but a player that I know is a friend of yours... He had a crack at being an MC a couple of years ago, and now he's back on the tour. Alan Taylor. The impressions Alan Taylor can do of other players, he would fit the Virgo role perfectly for me. Well, he does a better Sean Murphy than I do. <laughs> it's been said. It's been said. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, very, very funny. Great guy, Alan Taylor, I will say that. Um, funny story for you here. Um, I was sat at my computer... I'm gonna I'm gonna say ten years ago, but could be could be twelve years ago, and an email popped into my inbox from a guy I'd never heard of, um, 
And he claimed to be, and I fact-checked it, he claimed to be the creator of Big Break. Wow. And he wanted to bring it back. And he wanted me and Paddy McGuinness to present it. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a TV show on an evening, therefore Paddy, Paddy McGuinness has to present it, doesn't he? Has to present it. <laughs> has to present it. It's like a given. Wow. Um, so that email dropped in, and I remember replying to him, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he... he he knew all about it. He knew everyone connected with it. As I say, I did a little bit of digging. He was genuine. Um, and it was, you know, as I say, I wouldn't go into the full details of it on, on the pod, but, you know, he, he mentioned that it had ended in, you know, not the greatest situation and this, that and the other, but he was desperate to bring it back. Um, I think people who didn't live through the big break era don't really get how big it was. Oh, it was massive. It was absolutely, I mean, yeah. it's, to, to be on BBC primetime Saturday night for an hour was just, sports would have sold their soul for that slot. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, it, was, it, it, was it was huge. It was to snooker what, what Bullseye was to darts. It was absolutely massive. So, answer your question, yes, we would love to see Big Break back. Jimmy Davidson, John Virgo, no, I think it needs modernising, and, and that's who I would go with. Anyway, they are the listeners' questions. If you've got a question for myself or Sean, doesn't have to be about snooker, as you've just heard. It can be about pretty much anything whatsoever. Takeaways, embarrassing moments, anything at all. Get it into us at 147pod. That's at 147pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. The only thing left to do, Sean, is our pointless question. Now, this week's pointless question is Desert Island Discs. You are going to a desert island for one year. You are only allowed to take three songs with you. Which three songs do you choose? Go for all three, Sean. All three. Here we go. Radio Gaga, Queen. Absolute classic. Tiny Dancer, Elton. Brilliant. Songbird, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, the Fleetwood Mac version, the original. Not Eva Cassidy. Nope, I've gone left field. The original, Fleetwood Mac. It's going to take some beat in that list. Classic. Now, I'll tell you now, Tiny Dancer... There's um, Ben Folds, who's a, I'm a massive fan of Ben Folds. Name my eldest son after him. Um, amazing pianist, singer-songwriter, superb. He does a cover on tour of Tiny Dancer. If just Google Ben Folds, Tiny Dancer, his version of that song is fantastic. Just him and a piano, absolutely beautiful. Right, my three, here we go. They, they blow yours out the water, by the way, I've got to tell you now. First of all, American Pie, Don McLean. I'm I'm half Scottish. I'm a Yorkshireman. I'm going value for money there. That song lasts about four days, okay? <laughs> so if you can only take three, I'm having American Pie. I can't believe you didn't go with Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen, by the way, because that lasts about a week. Okay, American Pie, I Don McLean. you were going to choose it. As my first one. Second one. This Now, this one is left field. There's a, 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 an Irish singer-songwriter called Duke Special. Um, wrote a song called Slip of a Girl, which is a beautiful song from his album Songs in the Deep Forest. Just Google it, Slip of a Girl by Duke Special. My final one you might not have heard of either, um, Tim Minchin, American, uh, American, Australian rather, comedian, pianist, singer-songwriter. He recorded a serious album last year, and on that album was a, a track called If This Plane Goes Down. So my third one is If This Plane Goes Down by Tim Minchin, which is an incredible amazing song so well written so well crafted heard him perform it live in Sheffield a few years ago so there you go Don McLean American Pie Duke Special Slip of a Girl and Tim Minchin If This Plane Goes Down 
Search them. I will share them on social media, Sean, so you can listen to them. Do you know what? You being someone that plays piano, I actually think you'll quite appreciate those songs. It shows how little you know me, Phil. <laughs> this is probably very true. You don't play piano at all. Anyway, right, moving on. Can I just say, before we say goodbye to everybody, the one thing that that has just driven home to me is I am not coming to your island. <laughs> you don't fancy a bit of Don McLean? Come on. I, I actually do like that you song. You do? And I've recently started learning that particular song on piano, so it's funny that you should pick that. Um I, I don't think I can use the words on the pod to describe the other two, um, particularly having not heard them. But well, you, you know, it's confirmed things I knew about you for a long time. Such so. a closed mind. Open your mind. You know, there, there will be some people out there that haven't heard Songbird by Fleetwood Mac. There'll be, pe- be rescue teams out there on ships and helicopters <laughs> who turn up to rescue you off this island, hear the music and say, no, leave him there. He deserves it. Leave him. <laughs> There you go. So your three, Sean, were? Radio Gaga, Queen, Tiny Dancer, and Songbird, Fleetwood Mac. And I've got American Pie by Don McLean, Slip of a Girl by Duke Special, beautiful song. And if this plane goes down by Tim Minchin, if you've not heard the last two, listen to them. Believe me, you will not be disappointed. What are yours? What are your three tracks for Desert Island at 147pod across all social media? Now, we are due to record our next podcast on Monday the 26th of this month but that day you played Gary Wilson in the British Open Gary Wilson who reached the final last time out so we'll have to see about that but going into that how's practice oh yeah no I'll be free for the pod (laughs) (laughs) how's practice going Sean seriously it's two weeks away come on yeah no good yeah no the the game's in good shape and um, you know I've been doing some exhibitions and stuff and um, yeah I've been putting on some good shows actually been hitting the ball really nicely so uh, you know, it's early days um, of the season, of course, but um, I'm quite quietly, you know, say it with a whisper, quietly confident about this season. Great stuff. Well, everyone listening, enjoy the World Mixed Doubles because that is on before we record the next one. Enjoy that on ITV and ITV4 at the back end of the month. Sean, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks. And I'm sorry, guys, about his choices. <laughs> How rude. Cheers, Sean. That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.